to Talk FX, where we promise to keep the conversation honest and real for our Fragile X community. We are a group of moms of Fragile X children, self-advocates, and full mutation carriers from Washington, Idaho, and Oregon, all on a mission to share our stories and experiences in the hopes of reaching more Fragile X families and creating more awareness of Fragile X syndrome. So with that in mind, let's jump right in to this week's episode of Talk FX. Um, thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Talk FX. We are excited to dive into our second episode of our podcast series, Fragile X Authors. Today I'm co-hosting with Michelle as we are joined with author and mother Cindy Rogers. She wrote Becoming Mrs. Rogers, Learning to Live the Fragile X Way. And she's here with us today to talk about what inspired her to write this book and how Fragile X impacts her life. Um, Thank you so much for being with us, Cindy. We're so grateful for your time and your willingness to be on Talk FX. Well, it's my honor to be here, and I hope that um, it will be enlightening for other families to hear. So go ahead and just, um, I'd love to hear your, um, you know, background with Fragile X and just, and just how it affects you and your family. Well, if you want me to start at the beginning, I have to start 31 years ago. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that's a lot. That's a lot of history to give. Um, yes. But our son, Jake, was uh, born in 1989. And um, his birth was a little bit complicated, like some. And uh, his progress reaching milestones was um, not, you know, up to par, according to the pediatrician. So at the age of about 22 months, we were sent to Children's Hospital where the infamous Dr. Rondi Hagerman was here in Denver. And um, they did a bunch of testing. I was pregnant with our second son at that time. And um, back in 1991, they had just discovered the uh, DNA for Fragile X. So we were right in that time when they were making big progress, but we still had to wait about 13 weeks to get the blood test back. So by that time, Joe was born. Um, He was three days old when we got the call uh, with the diagnosis for Jake. Uh, They said there was an 80% chance that Joe too would have fragile X and he subsequently did. So that started our journey and it was a bit bumpy in the beginning. Um, my husband and I have been together since seventh grade. Aww. Yeah. (laughs) You know, even that kind of history doesn't prepare you for something like this because, you know, you're Mm -hmm. dreaming, you have your dreams and hopes for a family and you imagine what your children will be like and Mm -hmm. what your future will be. So, you know, throws a wrench in that, but, um, Back then, there was no Facebook support groups or anything like that. So we, we muddled around in, in despair for about four years. And then I finally got the courage to reach out to the local Fragile X group via telephone. I know there's this thing called a telephone, right? <laughs> and um, 
we had uh, meetings and so forth and I learned quite a bit, but um, I was still very lost and looking for answers. And if we had to be somewhere with Fragile X, Colorado was certainly the place to be at that time. Like I said, we had Dr. Hagerman here, that's where it all began. And we had Marsha Braden and we had Tracy and Mouse who are renowned therapists. Um, Mouse has since retired, but Tracy still runs developmental FX here in Colorado. We were lucky enough to uh, be able to access that amazing team of people very early in Jake and Joe's life. And it kind of helped us crawl out of this, you know, um, rabbit hole of despair, as I like to say. And um, we started to learn some things. I mean, we struggled until Joe was probably about nine or 10. And then Jake was about 12. I mean, we were just trying things. Some things worked, some things didn't. We weren't terribly consistent with a lot of the uh, different things that we tried for them. We were uh, both working. So it was a, a juggling act as well. Um, but we did have good support. So we, we tried to really access the support that was here and grasp onto that and hold for dear, hold on for dear life, you know. Um, about, we really saw things start to click um, after, I talk about all this in my book too. I'm, I'm very open and honest and candid about a lot of the struggles that we had. Um, some of them were very physical, especially with Joe. And some of them were very mental um, with my husband and I, you know, we, we struggled to uh, find our way and figure out how we could make a successful, productive life as a family for our boys. We didn't know what that was going to look like. We, we, you know, we just had to try. So um, we learned everything that we could. And like I said, some things were hit and miss. Some things worked really well and we really grasped onto those and other things didn't work at all. And we started mm -hmm. to really um, use consistency with the boys. And that's when we started to see success with them as they started to enter their teen years. And, you know, I, I know you mentioned you wanted to know why I wrote this book. Mm-hmm. And the main reason is because um, in 2013, just before I started writing this book, I had been doing uh, public speaking about this story, about our story, you know, for about 10 years. And I felt like um, the story might be getting a bit repetitive for those who had been at conferences and so forth. Um, but there were still new and upcoming families. You know, there's families diagnosed all the time. So I thought the best way for me to help them would be to document my story in a way that people could just pick up and read when they needed it or, you know, dog ear pages that really spoke to them um, so that they could use it later as their children aged and they needed um, different information. So I went through really their whole life um, up until 2014 in this book. 
So uh, I was fortunate to meet a woman who is a, a fairly famous author in her own right. And I told her, um, I just met her in passing. And I asked her if we could have lunch sometime. And she was so eager and generous with her time. So we had lunch one day and she gave me some advice that will stick with me forever. And that was to just go home and barf. Just barf, oh. barf out the story. Don't worry about typos. Don't worry about punctuation. Just get the story down on paper and keep writing and writing and writing until you no longer have stories to tell. Hmm. So I went home and I, I got my poop in a group, as I like to say, <laughs> <laughs> and got my husband, you know, on board with this idea and he supported it wholeheartedly, thankfully. And I started to write and it took me about nine months of dedicated writing to get it all down just to begin with. So it was really cathartic and therapeutic to get it all on paper. It was difficult too. Oh my gosh, I cried, okay. you know, reliving it. But um, it was definitely an experience that I'm glad I did. Yeah. I can imagine reliving all of that too. And it takes you back and and uh, you probably had forgotten many of the details um, that you were uncovering, you know, because <laughs> I don't know about you, but just you forget the details. Oh, absolutely. You know, absolutely. Chaotic it's funny life and <laughs> oh, yeah. It's funny because I actually made a timeline, um, you know, like zero to two years, two to five, etc. And I had to have my husband... Um, go through and and kind of validate what I was remembering and I was like did you remember it that way and in some things he remembered it differently mm. but in other things um, and and that was helpful super helpful because I, I really don't have that great of a memory <laughs> me neither don't feel bad yeah. oh yeah oh yeah but um, you know all in all now my sons are 31 and 29 now which so hard to believe I can remember the day the day Jake was born like it was mm -hmm. yesterday it's so mm -hmm. clear in my mind um, mm. but I I'd say overall it's been a really positive journey you know even with the hard parts yeah do you feel like um you know you obviously wrote your book many years after your sons were born correct oh yes uh, do you do you think that at the time you um, had read or had already, you know, started writing your book um, during that process, do you think that you had already kind of grieved your, your son's uh, diagnoses or were those feelings still kind of being processed even when you were writing the book? Because, you know, as Michelle mentioned, you know, I'm sure that emotions came up during then, but do you feel like writing it kind of helped you grieve more or, or, or where did you feel like you were at when you were writing it? I really feel like we had completely gone through all of the grieving by then. Mm -hmm. and, you know, I mean, 
As with anything in life, you can sometimes experience renewed feelings of grief. Um, as you know, Michelle, you know, yeah. when your kids start high school or their friends start to get married, et cetera, et cetera. Those, mm -hmm. are, those are normal. Um, but I don't think I had a complete relapse. I mean, I had sad moments. Right. I, was, I think this, the hardest part was to see it on paper. It's like yeah. I have it in my mind, but when you actually write it down, that makes it so real. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And not to mention knowing that, you know, you're sharing your life with, with the public, the people that, you know, read your, your story. I think that that can be, um, that can be a process too. <laughs> yeah. If you have a moment, I could read a passage from my book that, um, Absolutely. awesome. Yeah, might really hit home. I with, love your uh, book. Oh, Great. thank you. You're so sweet. So uh, this is on page 126 for those that have my book and um, want to uh, reread that part and follow along. But um, uh, uh, Chris and I had spent the first 10 years of the boys' lives trying to fight against biology. The perspective we had on those 10 years so far was simply one of defeat failure and hopelessness. We had to find a way to gain new perspective. The world around us was filled with worry and anxiety about things we knew nothing or little about. I asked myself how productive it was to expel so much energy on that worry. It wasn't productive at all. I knew I was at my best when I was doing something. I was never one to just sit and wait for something to happen. Why had I been so remiss during those 10 years? It was time to move forward. Mm -hmm. If we sat down and thought about all the challenges we had to work, all the challenges we had to work on and all the needs the boys had, it would have been overwhelming. We had to take things one step at a time. With all that had happened up until now, we had our work cut out for us. We needed to shift our priorities away from trying to raise awareness of, awareness of Fragile X to just focusing on how to help our own boys live their lives. We had to get out of survival mode. Mm -hmm. We were now ready to deal with the reality that lay before us. It took us some time to be able to face the music, but we had to take the final step in the grieving process, acceptance. Facing the music meant we could no longer ignore, disregard, or overlook the real situation. It was up to us now. The reason, the reason I read that is because I think that that realization was such a poignant moment for us because it really wasn't just about Fragile X or the boys. It was about the way we were dealing with it. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. It makes total oh, yeah. sense. I'm yeah, there you know, right it's... now. I'm there right now. <laughs> My son is 12. I'm there right now. I'm like, I have wasted so much. Not wasted. That's the wrong word. I've well, used a lot of energy and I've, I've been focused on advocacy, mostly in the public school setting. And I'm just now coming to the realization that I have forgotten about myself. I have not yeah. focused on my husband. I have not focused on what Nathan's needs are. I have. <laughs> I'm like I can feeling, totally relate. I'm feeling very empty. And it was a realization like I need to be focused on the trajectory where he's going, 
um, mm-hmm. what his likes, his needs. And maybe, his, you know, maybe solutions. even what, what you can impact, right? Like exactly. Like yeah. what, what impact can you make? I totally get what you're saying because that's where we were. And I think a lot of parents share this same step in the grieving process, Mm -hmm. you know, because I felt like um, early on, the more appointments I took the boys to, the more I was curing them, right? Mm -hmm. If I, if I ran harder, surely this would go away. I would work harder than anyone and, and that would, that would do it. But the reality is no, that didn't do it. So I think everybody comes to that realization at a different time, in a different way, mm-hmm. you I know, agree. and the outcomes are different, but I think it's necessary. It really is. Really necessary. Is it? Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. It is. Well, I, I loved that snippet that you, that you shared with us um, because it reminded me of something that um, my, my Nana would say to me all the time and I would roll my eyes she would say, <laughs> and I'm not joking you because Michelle can attest to it. Um, she would say all the worry in the world won't change the outcome. And I feel like that's a very uh, a summed up way of just saying what, what that snippet of your book was about, you know, of just, um, thinking about your child and just um, caring for them and what their needs are and just kind of getting those worries out of the way because, you know, we've talked with so many families um, already on this podcast and um, there was one family that shared something that was just so profound that I, it it sticks with me all the time. Um, She said, you know, if, if there's like, Uh, advice I can share with other, you know, families raising their children that have fragile X, it's, you know, focusing on the first six months, not years ahead, or their what their adulthood is going to look like, but their Mm -hmm. their first six months, because it's those first six months that are going to impact their adulthood and who they become. And so I just feel like what you shared was just so inspiring for that, you know, particular um, concept and just being yeah. inspired by that. Nicole, did you mean like focus on the, the, the next six months, not worried about the future, but just six months in increments, not just in, not just their very first six months. I just yes. want to be clear on that. <laughs> yes. Not I, just are not just till they're six months old. <laughs> I think, you know, I think that comes with time too, as a, as an yes. experienced parent here. I, we used to entertain families for Dr. Hagerman and we had hundreds of families to our home for dinner every week for six years or so while, um, while, and at the time our boys were young, maybe four and six, you know, five and seven, etc. And some of the families that came to visit us had older kids. And I tell you what, you'd have thought they had, you know, an X on their head because I couldn't take my eyes off of them. Right. In some ways, it scared the hell out of me to see older kids because I didn't want to think about what our future looked like. Mm. And that was a, you know, like a stark reminder right in front of me. Um, but I have to tell you one story. 
there was a family visiting, I think they were from Illinois. It's hard for me to remember. Um, and they had a son who was probably about 17, just a really handsome, tall kid. And we had dinner out on our patio and every, you know, of course our boys were running around. They didn't sit at the table. They hardly <laughs> ate. They had so much anxiety, but I was trying to visit, you know, with the mother and, um, the boy, this, her son got up from the table and took his plate to the sink. I almost fell over. <laughs> I was like, Oh, it, what just happened? <laughs> Like I was like, okay, this is what I have to look forward to. I'm in. Yes. If they can learn to take their plate to the sink. And she's like, oh yeah, he does that all the time. And I'm like, wow. Wow. You know, because when your kids are little, you can't think that far ahead. You right. can't imagine, you know, there's no picture that you can formulate in your head to, to know what it's going to look like. So I agree with that mom a ton because when they're little, you just can't face, you know, anything more than six months. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's Olivia. Um, so I would love for you to just kind of share a little bit about your sons. Like, what are their interests? What do they just love? And um, all of those things. Oh, my gosh. I could talk all day about my boys. <laughs> I, and it's funny. I still call them boys. They're men. But, you know. Um. So our older son, as I said, he's 31, and he has always had a great love of Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. That's why I named the book Becoming Mrs. Rogers, and that's why the guy who designed the cover actually used the same font, and some of the little pictures on the front are like little houses, like mm -hmm. Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. I love it. That was the inspiration for that. Um, mm -hmm. He has a little shrine in his room. Uh, he even has a signed picture of Mr. Rogers when he was alive. We were uh, fortunate to receive. He loves that. He uh, also loves, on the other side of the spectrum, Star Trek. So, you know, from Mr. Rogers' neighborhood to Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> Not even in the same galaxy, but um, he, uh, he, is, he has a great sense of humor he uh, works at three different jobs. Well, two right now because of COVID, but um, he works at a thrift store, which he's worked there 13 years. Wow. And he works at a church two afternoons a week. And he's done that for 10 years and mm. had been working at a movie theater, but mm. um, they're still not open. So he does miss that. Yeah. That would be fun. Yep. He has a one-on-one -on -one with him. She's also been with us for 13 years. Wow. That's great. We are, we are so fortunate. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, our younger son, Joe, he, he loves so many things. He's um, his, one of his favorite things right now is to give everybody elbows. Cause you know, <laughs> he can't <laughs> high five. Oh, he's going around elbow, elbow. Um, he, uh, he's 29 and he's worked at Ace Hardware for almost 11 years and um, he loves it there and they love him. Mm. He has friends there that he missed, you know, while we couldn't work and um, he has a provider that he's had for 11 years also. And um, they're just, 
they have a great quality of life. I wouldn't say it's perfect, not perfect. I mean, Jake suffers from some pretty, pretty uh, prevalent OCD tendencies um, and a lot of perseveration when he's anxious. Um, but we've found ways of coping. You know, I, it's manageable. It's mm-hmm. not. Um, it's not such a challenge every day. You know. Our challenging days are once every six months or, you know, once every three months, maybe. Not like Mm -hmm. when we were young, where it was every single day, you know, just trying to get through the day. But now we've learned ways of coping and they have too. And um, they both love to eat out. They love, (laughs) yeah, they love to shop, you know, um, they just, they just love life. They love, well, to go on our, they love to go on our RV, which we do oh. a lot. And um, yeah, so they have a good life. That is so great because it's, it's great to share those things and just give other families um, encouragement, just knowing that, you know, they both have multiple, you know, great jobs and just mm-hmm. how how um, how they are, you know, independent in those ways and um, that's just so great. And I, I think that many families can be encouraged by that just to know that, you know, their children can, you know, get jobs, you know, one day become, mm-hmm. have some independence, learn those skills, you know, those life skills. So well, that's awesome. one thing I would say with regard to that, and, and this is something I believe because I walk the talk and that <laughs> is do the hard work now while mm-hmm. your kids are young so that you cannot do hard work when they're my boy's age, you know, Yeah. no matter, you know, we, we worked our butts off just trying mm-hmm. to figure it all out and mm-hmm. it's worth it. So yeah. worth mm-hmm. it. I mean, yeah. Jake and Joe, um, Dr. Hagerman says they're on the severe spectrum. They have a um, hundred words or less. We use PECS, you know, picture uh, system mm-hmm. and um, they get their needs known they still need assistance with many things but we have great support um like i said nothing's perfect i still have crappy days you know um but i don't feel as hopeless you know as i did young i feel like okay i know what to do i just have to do it you know (laughs) some days you just have to pull up your boots and and do it Cindy, what would you say are a couple of big things that were life-changing for you raising your boys? Obviously, they have made a huge impact on you, and as mine has me, um, being a better person because they're in your life. Um, what, what, couple, what are a couple of things that just strike you as huge, um, huge characteristic type things that you have gained by both of them? Well, I honestly don't think I would have ever had the patience I have now had it not been for them. That's number one. I was not a patient person in the past. <laughs> now I have no choice and, and it's in their best interest when I'm patient. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, Tracy Stackhouse, Michelle, and yes. she says, you know, she'll remind, she'll remind me eight second rule. And that is, 
you know, when I ask them something, give them eight seconds. Do you know how long eight seconds is? You know, I'm it's forever. So, glad, so glad you said that because I've been going to 10. Eight would be so much better. <laughs> oh, but 10, 10, if that's what works for your son, then do it, you know, but it's so hard for me. I'm just like, you know, some, I just want to put the words in their mouth for them, right. or, you know, but I have to wait. Or if I ask mm -hmm. him to do something, wait eight seconds. Um, so that patient, mm -hmm. definitely, mm -hmm. you know, Chris and I, my husband, Chris and I talk about all the time, what we, what we might be like if our sons were typical, probably married now with, we'd have grandchildren. And, um, and I think, yeah, but we would have missed out on all of this, I, I perspective is such yeah. a huge thing for us that you can't, you can't learn it in a book. You have to nope. live it. Yep. Mm -hmm. So much joy they bring to our, to our lives. Humor. Oh, yeah. They're funny. They're, and, mm -hmm. and if we could just be like them. Oh, I know. A little bit. Just oh. to have their perspective of the world and life because it's always joyful. I agree. It's always pleasant. Well, mostly. Unless, yeah, even through this COVID take, thing. Unless you take right? a fire stick away abruptly. <laughs> <laughs> and then all hell breaks loose. Exactly. If, but, if we stood to have as much joy as them, then I think there'd be less issues in the world. I totally agree. Even through this COVID thing, you know, my friends are like, oh, yes. aren't you glad they have no idea what's going on? They just do what we ask mostly, Yeah. you know, like we taught them to wear the mask and everything, but it's been a big lesson, you know, like, wow, they have no clue, you know, how dire things were. And thank goodness, right? Because mm -hmm. they just accept what's in front of them. And that's what we should be doing, right? Right. What we see is what is true. Yep. This is what, what's important is what's in front of us. Mm-hmm. You know, I can definitely uh, use your eight second rule because I am a nanny and I could stand to probably uh, utilize that in my job. <laughs> it's the hardest thing ever, though. I have to tell you, like, one, two, three, four. <laughs> oh, man, that just sounds hard because the boy I nanny for is a is a toddler. And so I have to remind myself, too, as I think. As I think you, it also applies with fragile X children that you have to remind yourself that you you can't set unrealistic expectations for them, and that's something I've I've learned as a nanny. It's just that you can't expect them to do everything that you want them to do. Just. Like just one little thing, the, the little, the little toddler, he is obsessed with the dishwasher. He'll, he'll crawl up to it as quickly as he can once he hears it's open and it drives me <laughs> bananas. But I have to remember that he doesn't know that that is wrong yet. He just doesn't have that concept. And I think that that can really apply to the, you know, fragile X world. And it, I've even, you know, had instances where I've had to remind myself, you know, do not be quick to anger with even just my, my cousin, Nathan, you know, 
he, sometimes mm-hmm. I'll get I have gotten frustrated with him in the past very rare though um and he'll ask me Nicole are you okay are you okay because like he knows that I'm upset but he doesn't <laughs> he doesn't know like necessarily how why? to like, go about it right yeah, he doesn't like know how why. to fix it they want they're so compassionate they oh, want to yeah. fix it exactly well and the other thing is you know uh, another thing Tracy told me, sorry to bring her up, but she's just been such a, a beacon for me. That's wonderful. We'll have to interview her. Yeah. Yes, for sure. But uh, she always says, you know, it's much easier to stoop down to your child's level than to try to constantly pull them up to your level. Yes. So true. And, you know, you have to bring yourself to the Fragile X level every day. When you're a parent, if you're going to be successful, right? Mm -hmm. You can't set your expectation and expect them to rise to it. Yeah. Um, So your little guy, that dishwasher door is his level, right? Physically. Yep. So he's like, oh, it's like I have this little table. I can just walk right (laughs) up to it. Oh, yes. (laughs) That's a reminder. (laughs) So um, just, you know, just to kind of uh, wrap things up I want I just wanted to ask you I know we've actually sort of sort of kind of covered this but um what what advice what's what's one piece of advice maybe that you would have for you know maybe newly diagnosed fragile x families mm. and even just families with fragile x uh kids that are the same age as your sons oh for newly diagnosed families and I, I've told many this, that I think it's important to try and not focus on fragile X, not mm. see your child as, as the fragile X child when they're little, just love them and enjoy every moment of their young life. Because mm-hmm. all of that therapy and uh, PEC systems and strategies will be there. Yep. When mm-hmm. it will, they're, they'll, they're still going to be there just smile with them and laugh with them and get on the floor and enjoy it. Be in the moment. Yes. Yes. When they're little, just try not to think of them as the fragile X child for older uh, children of older families. And and especially for moms and dads, I think one of the most helpful things that uh, Chris and I did to help us sleep at night, because, you know, we do suffer from <laughs> lack of sleep, worrying again about those things we can do nothing about is to make a plan, even if it's not, uh, even if it's not going to be forever, mm-hmm. make a plan based on what you know today mm-hmm. um, so that you can rest knowing that if something happened to you today, there's something on paper, yeah. um, whether it's a legal will or trust or something as simple as a letter to a sibling or a relative or a friend, um, do something that gives you peace. Yeah. Um, um, Those are the things I think that have been most helpful for us as a couple and um, as parents of, you know, two sons with uh, neurodevelopmental disabilities, because it's forever. You know, you have to plan, 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 but you don't have to do all that. Do something that just gives you enough peace to sleep at night. Yeah. Excellent advice. 
Thank you for sharing that. My pleasure. I I really enjoyed this. I've never done a podcast and (laughs) I love it. I love it because I'm in my pajamas. You know, it's after (laughs) six here. So I have to be in my pajamas for Jake. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for just sharing on um, your just precious sons and also sharing with us about your book that um, I hope everyone listening will give it a read if you haven't already. Um, and thank you, Michelle, for being on with us as well. You bet. Um, thank you. I, I want to say thank you to both of you for your hard work and making this podcast happen. And I hope it reaches families that really need to hear a message of hope. Thank, well, thank you. you for writing that message, Cindy. I just love your book. And uh, I hope after folks listen to this podcast, you'll go to Amazon and look up that book, Mrs. Rod or Mrs. Rogers Neighborhood. Is that right? Becoming Becoming Mrs. Becoming Rogers. Mrs. Rogers. I, I stand corrected. <laughs> I'm sorry. Leave that to I didn't me. do my homework. I don't mind if you call it that. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great, my God. great Just ending. Google it. It'll pop up. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. And I, I appreciate all the families out there that might read it. I want to thank you for that because um, I wrote it from the heart and wrote it to give hope to families that might be struggling with that very thing. So, well, thank you for that selflessness and um, willingness. That's just mm-hmm. so admirable. Well, thank you. Yeah. We love you, Cindy. Love you too. Mwah, mwah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Sending you big, hugs, big hugs from Colorado. Yes, oh, likewise thanks. from Seattle. All right. Thank you, ladies. Yes. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to Talk FX. We hope you've left this episode feeling encouraged and knowing you're not alone on this journey with Fragile X. It is our mission to provide resources, support, and encouragement to our listeners. Whether you are a mom of Fragile X children, a self-advocate, or a full mutation carrier, this podcast is for you. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Talk Fragile X. You can tune in to the latest episodes on Spotify or Apple Podcasts.